Welcome to Biggest Geek Ass. We're your hosts. I'm Randy. I'm Joe. This is episode 105, not four, as it says in the outline. And our show and the date is Tuesday, September 13th, 2022. 2022. How are you, man? All right. A little tired. Tired today? Okay. I feel you. I'm tired, tired. Well, it's just uh, I was off for a couple weeks, and now I'm having to actually work again. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I bet. Uh, I tell you what, today was pretty good. I was a little slower than normal. Um, tried to type and talk, which is bad. <laughs> anyway, uh, but I, I got uh, my classes going this week. I think it's going to be a pretty smooth week. We're coming up our first uh, first test. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how they do. Got some good and some bad. So, a lot of crowd, a good crowd tonight. Looks at the streamers in there. We got Darth and Green Apple. L, I don't know L, but you're welcome to be here. We're glad you're here, L. Our yes. man in the house. Woo, a lot of good. Adam Simpson. Is he a new guy? He looks familiar. I think that uh, not a frequent hanger outer with us in this AO. But we but got Flady The name looks familiar. Yeah. Flady One, good old Patrick, CBK Ply. You got some of the usual suspects. So, it's a good day so uh. oh <laughs> wow you your typing is horrendous dude <laughs> Fair low, pud, low pud music ick is good yeah there's randy nichols says low pud music ick is good yeah yeah Darth, <laughs> um it, it's it's my typing dude so uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh Tim Scott's lurking while he cleans his basement. When you get done, Tim, come on over and uh, clean mine, too. That'd be great. So Is he a lurker? Yeah. So my basement would be pretty tough to get into since it's a crossway. Isn't that um, isn't the lurker the one that uh, would fall on you from above and, and smother you and then consume you like like a Venus flytrap? The isn't lurker. That a l- it's called a lurker above. Yeah. I used lurker to above. I love those. You remember that back in 1A? Mm-hmm. I would do it to you guys all the time. All the time. Suck it's a lurker. Suck it, dudes. Yeah, it's a lurker. Imagine a lurker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was good times, baby. Oh, man. Mal- Malachi's in the house. Legion. Yeah, we got a good crowd here. So, uh, anyway, we, I'll guess talk about what we did in a minute, but anything else new and exciting this week for you, Joseph? Well, we're going to get to some of it in our, in our, Big Geek Emporium update. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, I wrestled with code and I and I um, made it cry uncle. <laughs> oh, Tim Scott says, I would love to destroy people from above. Yes, that's the only way to destroy them. <laughs> they, oh. they didn't just destroy you. They consumed you. They did. That was the beauty of it. You became part of the lurker. Right. Hey, DVR Army's here. Hello, right. phone guy. Yeah, what's up, man? Thanks, DVR Army. Um, 
Yeah, very cool. All right. Well, do you want to start with the one? I mean, somebody had a one call in. Do you want to do that tonight? Or do you want to say that again? We have a call in, right? Did you want to do that tonight? Or we yes, we have a call in. Cool. Mainly because it's um, in relation to last episode. I'm oh, pretty okay. sure. All right. And I can't even remember what he's talking about. Okay. Give it a shot. I mean, I understand what he's saying, but I, I don't get the reference. Anyway, you want to go with start with that? Yeah, let's go. We'll do. Let's mix it up tonight. All right, we'll start with that. Call-ins, yeah. I think it's my buddy Taylor. Shout out to Taylor. He helped me out with a little something. I'll talk about that with the module update. So. Alrighty. Joe's working his magic. Yes, multiple multiple clicking all right man clicks of power all right this is from cleric swear ringmail yes cleric swear ringmail taylor take it away talking about learning basic in school when i was a little young to learn basic i had to learn rule cyclopedia but same difference so that, that's it i laughed out loud at when you said uh is that supposed to say integer <laughs> Keep on keeping on. So, which part? It's it's, um, it's it's a little difficult to hear, folks. He must have had a bad connection or whatever. Um, but in the first couple of times I heard it, I didn't get what he was talking about at the very beginning. Well, Learning basic, the basic language, programming yeah. language. Yes. Um, he's he's comparing that to uh, learning basic D and D. Right. So okay. integer. What do you? What, so what do you mean? What did you mean? I, I was, remember my story about go, wanting to go play basketball on a Saturday in college. I had to write a program. It kept showing. It kept, oh, it kept running up zeros, and I had put the integer yes. in instead of a real number. Yeah. Right. Crafty Matt. Hey, we don't see him too often. Glad he's in the house. Oh, trolling his way through the gatekeepers group. Okay. Has he been in other uh, in other uh, live streams? Is he is he causing problems? I know he's asking dude. asking questions, complained about our intro music a little bit, but you know, to each his own. To each his own. We like loud. He doesn't have to, it's cool. All right. Well, the cool news is, the best news is we played last Thursday. But I think I saw a lot of flaws in OSE in basic. A lot of things I didn't like. What did you think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I liked, we didn't play a lot of basic. We played no. a little bit of basic and then we got into AD&D early on in our gaming, I believe. Yeah. We played we six played, to a year probably in basic D&D. Right. Right. I mean, compared to the 40 that we've played, 40. Right. AD&D, 20, yeah. 20 years and then yeah. another 20. But um, yeah, so. You know, one thing that really bugged me, um, first of all, I talked with uh, Martinson about the Barbarian. I think that Barbarian sucks in advanced OSA. I think as a class, he's kind of worthless. Yeah, because what does he do be- besides what the fighter does? And and not and Andy can't wear the heaviest armor, which is fine, but he doesn't get uh, – he can't be healed. He can't use magic. Oh, it says he can't yeah. use magic items. And so our, our player that plays the druid finally got a second level spell 
and he has to make it cure light wounds because he's the only one that can heal the barbarian because the barbarian won't let you heal him. And so uh, Martinson and I are thinking about changing that class around. I have an idea for a berserker, and it's going to be kind of a barbarian type, and I want to fix some of those problems. I, I really didn't like the barbarian at all. He seems to be like a drain on the party. I I think uh, that's one of the reasons we didn't when the barbarian came out back in the day, um, unearthed Arcana's barbar- barbarian, right? That's for, that was first edition time, and um, it was the same kind of deal. Didn't trust uh, magic users. By the time you were seventh, I think seventh level or yeah. something like that, you could not adventure. I don't know if it, one way or the other. It was either you couldn't adventure until you were seventh level, and then you developed some kind of trust, or you did, or you couldn't past seventh level something like that and uh yeah i don't know where i don't i don't know where they get that from because the quintessential barbarian conan Mm -hmm. had a buddy in the movie at least who was a sorcerer of you know in the movie he seemed to be kind of not you know very powerful but sure um but be that as it may i mean he didn't really not trust magic the way that they have styled barbarians. No. Um, then, I mean, in the Conan stories in the comic book or in this in the novels, in the pulp novels, it might have been that he didn't trust sorcerers or wizards because in the the world setting they are often corrupt. Yeah. But uh, I think that I think that they took. Uh, took that a little too far in the game rules uh um well yes shadow's pawn not powerful he cast raise dead well kinda i think uh he had some help with it seemed like the conan getting raised from the dead was part of the story so yeah um uh, uh, the sorcerer doing the ritual, I mean, I mean, he left it up to the gods to decide. He just he implored the gods to intervene, and then it worked. I don't know if you would call that raised dead specifically, but yeah, I guess. Well, Shadow Spawn, I think, might be new. I don't recall the name, but if he's not, he offered to give you help with some web development if you have any concerns, uh, Joe. So there's an offer of help should you run into some trouble. Thanks, bud. I appreciate that. I have a I have a team. They're doing their thing on uh, the design end, and once they get some design work done, they will be uh, they'll be poking around at the code. We're not trying to get too much code on. Uh, it's a little confusing um, sometimes uh, the workflow that we're 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 using because it, there's not much of a workflow. Uh, they do their thing, and I do my thing. Um, I was pretty much primarily concerned with getting print-on-demand working. It's a little ugly right now, but it works. So fairly soon we will be uh, uh, deploying print-on-demand on on Big Geek and Port. It'll just be a little, it'll be a little ugly. Yeah. David uh, Guy offered to give me a little, he had some ideas for Barbarian. I'm going to talk to him after the podcast. And CBK Plus said, uh, check out the Hyperborea Berserker. Are you talking the third edition? Because I did get my third edition books for uh, Hyperborea. I'm kind of excited. We've got Tunka Todd, I think, in the house for the first time at a live show. 
Welcome, Tonka. Uh, thank Tonka you. Todd. That's a cool name. <laughs> Tonka Todd. I like that. Ooh, pig suey. Is yeah. there a pig? Is that <laughs> What's that? That's what he said. Ooh, pig suey. <laughs> okay. Cool. All right. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so I had problems with the barbarian. Um, I didn't. The hiring the retainers is fine. Um, I thought I would enjoy that more. I'm not sure if I do. Um, no, Crafty Match says something. Makes a good point. This might be true. Uh, Barbarian like Conan is very difficult to create in D&D and OSR type games. They end up being dumb brutes that hate magic. In contrast, Conan was well-educated. Yeah, he wasn't actually an idiot. That's true. Right. Um, the thing is, Barbarian... I have a problem with Barbarian being a class anyway. Barbarian, yeah. Barbarian historically is just somebody that's not from where you live. Mm. Somebody on the, uh, from the fringes out, outside your, you know, different nation. So right. we thought the Asians were uh, barbarians or the, uh, we, not we, the, the British thought the Asians were um, barbaric and they thought we were barbaric and the Africans barbaric, you know, all that in all those directions. Everybody yeah. thought the other people were barbarians sure. or outsiders. It's just another word for outsider. Right. And so, um, you could probably fashion a Conan better with a ranger that doesn't cast spells because he's an out, he's a, he's someone that lives on, uh, can, well, can survive. He's a survivor. And he was and, a thief, but not in the class sense. He just would steal yeah. Right, right. I don't know how much lock picking or picket pocket picking he did. It was more, maybe more thuggery. I don't, I really don't know. I didn't, like I said, my experience with Conan is from the movie. So yeah. he stole things. So yeah. he was a thief. Right. I've, I've read a couple of, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? He wrote Wheel of Time. Robert Jordan's Conan stories. I thought they were good. I've read some of Howard's. Um. Yeah, I've 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 enjoyed Conan. Um. So to Patrick, uh, uh, ugly, as in uh, not difficult to order or poor quality print. Ugly as in the vendor's um, um, user experience is less than ideal. So I need to improve that for them to uh, make it worthwhile for them to want to uh, use the site. If, uh, right now, they have to copy and paste a thing, and oh. it'd be better if they could just do the clicky thing. Gotcha. Um, you know, click a button, make selections. Oh, I don't remember this, Mr. Guile, only vaguely. What about watching the Conan cartoon? Hmm. I don't. Do you remember that, Joe? I do not. I remember, um, oh, Thundar, the Barbarian. Yes, we do. <laughs> Yeah. Arn Man says Conan is a fighter with thief like hiding, moves silent and climbing. It was possible before the stupid thief class was added to DD. Dude, going old school, but I don't disagree. I was never a huge fan of the thief, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um I don't I think that they gave uh the thief some skills that they then after the may have after the fact, designed modules and many things to make use of them. Mm -hmm. um, however, 
they made them so inadequate at their job at low level. Um, you were lucky to, you weren't, it didn't matter how clever the player was unless you said things to the DM that the DM thought were cool as far as how you were investigating the lock. I look real close. I use a mirror and a candle and um, I use wax maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows all the different things you could tell your DM? There's like, oh, that sounds cool. I'll give you a 10% bonus or whatever. Yeah. But um, low-level thieves, you had to be, you were, it was lucky if you got your thief skill to work. And then you got your experience points by stealing things from people. And then maybe eventually you got good enough, a high enough level that your thief skills were at least halfway decent. That reminds me of something. I'm going to add something to um, our OSC game, a skill system. Uh, I think it'll be interesting. I don't want to talk about it yet today. It's something I borrowed from the Internet, so I'll give that guy some credit when I do. Um, But it's not going to be like third edition where you're picking points and stuff and getting all those. But I have an idea. I'll be intrigued to see what you guys think of it. I feel like it'll make tasks that are supposed to be hard really hard and tasks that are meant to be simple really simple. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, I also didn't like um, the death and dying. Um, I like my idea of rolling. Um, when someone goes down, the way I've been playing it recently, so I've been running 5e. When you drop below zero, uh, zero or lower, I roll a D3 behind the screen. That's how many rounds your group has to get to you before, before you uh, perish. And in OSE, zero is dead. So I got to thinking a lot about, well, what if what if you're at one hit point and you get critical and get knocked to negative 12? That's no different from just going to zero and rolling that D3. So I was thinking, toying with this, what if you if you take damage up to your constant negative? So if you have a 12 con, if you go all the way to negative 12, zero to negative 12, I'll roll that D3 to give you a chance to be saved. If you go below negative 12 from a strike, then you're just dead. Dead, dead. No chance to save anybody. I know it's it's kind of, it might be too much. I might just pick an arbitrary number like five, or I might say, because I want to, I like the idea of, I like just their con. Right. That's right. That's what I was saying. The con. Negative okay. 12 was if you had a con of 12. I'm okay. Yeah. So whatever your con is, is your negative score. And you can go to that negative score anywhere between zero and your negative con. You can be saved in a D3 rounds. Of course, the group doesn't know how long. It can still be one round and dead. But if someone were to knock you way past your con and negative, then you're just dead, dead. No roll. I think I'm going to try that. That'll make it sure, a, sure. a little more interesting. Um, yeah. Um. Con, that any number that you're going to set except for zero mm-hmm. is going to be somewhat even saying zero is dead is kind of arbitrary but except for the fact that that's the end of your hit points yeah so it makes sense that you die then mm-hmm. if you decide if you decide um that it's negative con but it's not strictly negative con right, right? Right. It's negative con. When you when you're in that zero to negative con range, you have three rounds to D3. live. D, well, right, D three yeah. rounds to live. It's not like you're you're good in that range. You have you have a limited shelf life in that that hit point range. Um, but that's still it's kind of an arbitrary 
you know, number. And it doesn't matter. Even negative 10, like Darth Theic, Randy, that's right. like going to negative 10 before you actually die. Yeah. Right. Um, it kind of is, but not exactly. Kind, not exactly, but kind of. Um, I know that a lot of game tables had that kind of negative hit point rule, um, house rule. I think 2E had that. Am I wrong? Did 2nd Edition have the negative 10 rule? It could have been 2nd Edition. It might have even been a 3rd Edition thing. I can't remember, really. Um, I know that there's a lot of um, house rules that let you live beyond zero. Yep. So that your party can save you from this perspective. Generally, in stories, whether they're literary or film, a person goes down you usually there's usually a period i mean depending on what happens a lot of times the uh the hero can be saved by his friends tonka todd says negative numbers were second edition thank you it sounds right yeah and adam simpson does clarify i think this is true the great thing about bxose is the rule set is so simple no one is intimidated to house rule it to their liking house rules are less likely to have a domino effect yeah and so i'm gonna mess around with it i like the idea of a player i mean i I like the zero being dead from a simple standpoint but more like dying and bleeding out like darth made a comment about that but in this case when you hit zero all the way down to your con, any of those numbers, you can be saved in a D3 rounds. So realize if I roll a one, somebody in the party's got to get to you within one round or you're dead, dead, whether you're at zero or minus your con. Once you get right. worse than minus your con, there is no getting to you. Right. So, uh, yeah. But giving the giving the uh, the party a chance to get to you and say, slap a bandage on your noggin kind of, uh, kind of thing is cool. Mm-hmm. It makes... Uh, it's more interesting than zero dead. Yeah. Because there's no slapping a bandage on you and say you have a hit point. It's not yeah. like you have a hit one hit point left. Oh, we've got to save you. No, you're not you're not dead. Or you're not at death's door. Yeah. You might need a heal that gets you a more a more uh, um, positive number, but yeah. Uh our man said and so did L's commenting, um our man said one, he had optional rules to go to negative three from one blow, then bleed a point per round from negative 10. And I believe L is, is uh, agreed. That might have been an unearthed arcana. Yeah, yeah. It could have been in the DMG as yeah. well. I don't know. I, I trust him. I trust L and yeah. R, and that's fine. Uh, Patrick makes a good point, and this is where you got to decide how gritty you want to get. Uh, he, Patrick says, Demo, I think you should have combat penalties when you're bloodied and have hit points. It depends on, and I don't disagree with the idea, but it depends on what you want D&D to be. Um, uh, to me, the, the rule that I'm thinking of lets D&D, D&D still be deadly, lets you still be like, and whether you like it or not, the one hit point wonder. You're at one hit point, you still get to fight at your best capability. And at zero, you're down. But you're allowed to have a chance to be saved. So to me, it adds the tension. Because when your character drops players look around they're like oh, you know what's up oh in the dmg thanks Arn man okay yeah there's um there's people that talk about when you um have scaling penalties yeah um start you know starting wherever you start to zero and then you're down it's kind of yeah. it creates a what's called a death spiral right right so 
uh, you get hit to half your hit points. Now you're maybe you're you have negative one to your rolls. Well, yeah. because of your negative one to your rolls, you're less capable in combat and more likely to get to. Um, it's more likely that your opponents will, will survive long enough to hit you again, right. put you down to a, a farther negative number, and then mm-hmm. it'll just keep going until you're dead. It's Not possible. unlike when we discuss Savage Worlds, it has that kind of effect. Yeah. Wounds. There is a death spiral in Savage Worlds. It really you can is. Get, you can get caught in. That Pretty is true. quickly, too. When, when, when the poop hits the fan, it really hits the fan. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so anyway, those are things that I'm thinking right now of messing with our game. Did you did you notice anything that threw you off that would like to? Um, oh, Cal says he he is in his pre death spiral murder hobo phase. Okay. <laughs> Alrighty then. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say I think that OSC kind of reinforces my dislike of racial classes. Okay. I like how OSE differentiates the races. Right. But um, I really don't like it. Gotcha. It's because it's um, it's kind of weird to say you're. It'd be nice if so. It'd be cool if that was their thing they could just do. But then they could also instead Mm -hmm. pursue a class. Because right. it, do, it doesn't make sense to me. I understand hum, uh, the idea is that humans are the the widely varied race. And they can go um, unlimited in all the classes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but saying that all elves are nearly identical in their adventuring capabilities is weird to me. Um, but you know your mileage may vary. A lot of people like racist class. Yeah, and I, I mean, I mean, there's something because what it happens, I think, for me, while I'm I'm not as adamant against it as you, because I look at the elf, and the elf class seems very elfy and basic. What I mean is, he does the things you think an elf should do if you're kind of a Tolkien-esque elf guy. He's got magical abilities. He can fight. Um, I. I but I understand if you want to go, you'd like to have a little more variety. I, I never understood, like, in what was it? Some rules, like some some races couldn't have clerics. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, if, well, if you have to think about if they're yeah. religious in any way. But maybe yeah. the idea of a cleric is a human concept, right? Wow. So maybe even religion, the way we practice it, the way humans practice it, and that's how it's reflected in game. The games you have priests, you have temples and rituals and sacrifices and stuff like that that might be the way humans interact with deities whereas um but you know it's not all culture human cultures do that identically right there's a lot of variation so um how an elf and elves and dwarves may just say yeah they're there what do you want me to do about it yeah i mean they may not they may not yeah i respect the, the the gods that are out there mm-hmm. and that's maybe all they think about um yeah um yeah i mean uh well crafty matt says this uh races could not have pc clerics but that was just limited to players the species itself still had clerics yeah um i could see though like joe said maybe the elves being long-lived are not as impressed by 
a god's immortality, which is one of their big impressive abilities, right? To live forever. Um, and maybe they respect the gods. Maybe they honor them, but they don't truly follow them. And like Crafty is saying here with the with the cleric thing you just said, mm-hmm. it may be that they don't, they're not adventuring clerics. Yeah. Of course, then the question, I used to wonder this to an 80 and earn certain limitations. If you had a big war between elves and dwarves, how are the elves healing themselves? <laughs> and the dwarves, if they, from OSE especially, if there's a big race war, how could they heal them, each other, heal themselves? I'm going to have to um, say something about this. Uh, uh, I understand the idea of conversion, mm-hmm. obviously being a Christian, but um, 28 millimeter RPG says, I've never seen a play, player play clerics or priests properly. Very few of them convert the masses to their God. Not all uh, religions are evangelical. And not all clerics, that's not their job necessarily. I mean, um, Native Americans had a very religious or had a very spiritual or religious, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, outlook, but they didn't go around converting people. Uh, that's just is not part of all religion. I don't I don't think uh, Buddhists go around converting people, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. So just um, you could look at it like in a in a world where the the divine is obvious, conversion isn't necessary because most people are going to be believers. Well, it's just here, what they do with it. A couple of interpretations that I kind of agree with. Uh, Malachi says clerics are not there for conversion; they're there to battle on behalf of their gods. Okay, and Crafty says, uh, and I've always liked this: priests are priests, clerics are knights in the service of the church. Well, if I, I like it, but then that means that what? What are paladins? Uh, so, so right. What are right. Paladins? Yeah. I remember reading the cleric and the paladin descriptions back in AD and D, and they were very similar. So, yeah, yeah, they're different takes on the same job, where the cleric is more more of a more divinely powered, and the, mm-hmm. the knight or the the paladin is is less divine well differently powered i mean the paladins are more combat focused but you know they call the priests um what do they call them in the first edition the clerics what do they call clerics how do they describe them like the um i think they they, they compare them to the knights templar knights templar i think and people compare paladins to knights templar it, it's it's kind of um it's kind of different now, what about now, now to 28 millimeters credit, though, I do think there's room to be that cleric. Sure, sure. It, depend, it depends. Yeah, you can be a missionary type can wants to convert, but I don't think they all have to to say you. And he, he might have a very particular view of a cleric and think you have to be a converter. And maybe there's a part of some version of D&D where that was stressed. I do remember early on, we kind of thought clerics were like, believe in my God, follow my God. Um, right, and there are people that play that way. I know I, uh, there are. I've heard people talk about how they always have religious wars in their games. Yeah, and that's the religious wars are about conversion as well. There you got some action going outside your window. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Crafty says paladins are elite knights. I'm oh, sorry, you got it. 
Paladins are elite knights in service of the sovereign. They've been granted powers by the divine right of the. Oh, that's in your world. Sure. Sounds good. That's a good way to do it. Yeah, that's not how the player's handbook describes them. No, but that's cool. And it, that's a way. My, and my question was exactly that. If you're going to call clerics, knights, templars, paladins have to have some other job, I think, that's at least somehow differentiated. Right. Right. To me. Um, I mean, don't get us don't get me wrong. Paladin, I think the paladin class, apart from the description issues they have, mm-hmm. I like I like the the difference in what they do. Yeah. But um, yeah, I like it too. I just sometimes get caught up on the jobs overlap a lot with the paladin and cleric, and I kind of yeah. wonder, especially if you play a guy who's a like a war cleric, you know, and they build up on armor and weapons, and they're not much different from a a paladin. Now, if you restrict them to maces, I guess that's a little bit. That's a we're going to, that's a different question. I mean, right. Sure. We're, we're, we're getting ready to go down the rabbit hole yeah, we of clear <laughs> weirdness where they could only use blunt weapons, which is stupid. But, but I think twenty. Of course, there were reasons. Yeah, I think he makes a good point. It's, it's a thing to think about. So yeah, yeah. Um, all right. But anything else you were thinking about with uh, with the get with our game, or should we move into? Did you talk about Big Geek Emporium and what you're going to talk about? The POD. Not a, a little bit. I hit on it. Um, say right. So as we talked about playing, we talked about the POD. Right. Um, I probably need to improve the vendor experience a bit. Um, I'm. I'm um, is he still here? Who are you talking about? He's still here. David David has been helping me out a, a bit and showing me some menus over at drive through to give me some ideas on what uh, might help out. But um, yeah, the, the, the vendor the, the vendor experience needs to be improved. The, the um, customer experience, who cares? <laughs> no, it's... You, it's going to show up. You're going to hit buy, or you're not. So it's it's not it's not that um, it's not that complicated for the uh, the consumer. Gotcha. Um, but for the vendor behind the scenes, it needs to be a little more smooth for them. Anything else for Big Geek Emporium? No. Um, got a bit of an update, not a big one on the Big Geek, uh, Big Con. We're going to do, I'm going to call working title Big Geek Con. Um, I had contacted three locations via email. I'm waiting for a response, but I think tomorrow I'm going to go uh, give them a call and maybe head down there by this Friday. Um, I want to get a, a place that's excited to have us. Um, I do want to throw something out to the, to the people in the stream. If they have any inclination, or some of you mentioned last week, you have an inclination to come out to Big Geek Con when it happens next year. And right now we're thinking September, so roughly one year from this month, um, not Labor Day. Um, how important is it for you guys, for a small convention, that it all be held in one location? That is, you can have a hotel, because a hotel, and inside the hotel is where all the action happens. Or are you opposed to having to walk or even maybe drive a little bit to get to the location a mile or two away, something like that? Uh, is that a is that a deal breaker? Is it kind of something that you would find annoying? Uh, I mean, I have to admit, years going to Gen Con, I had a couple of years where I stayed outside of Indianapolis, 
one year where I stayed several miles when it was in Milwaukee. I hated it. I hated driving in when my hotel was connected is when I had the best times. So even walking a few blocks was not horrible, but a tad annoying just to get to the cool stuff. So um, I did like that VengeCon was all in one hotel. Um, but I have a location um, in Saginaw that has a potential to be really good. Um, and it doesn't have good hotel options. Um, the other place, we could have it all in one hotel, but you would have to do more walking, not a lot, but a little bit more along a river. It'd be nice uh, to do some cool restaurants and stuff like that. Might even get some live music. So I think I'm leaning toward one of those two spots, toward that spot. Um, Joe said he thinks he'd prefer that. So yeah, people are saying, I'd rather not walk, short distance. Yeah, I'm not talking a big distance, Cal. I mean, I, I don't think... I don't think I'd like to um, have people have to drive to the spot, especially if anybody comes out of state. I'd like them to get in a hotel, if they drive, park their car, and just walk around, hang out there. Um, but, yeah. So My opinion doesn't matter because I can, I'll be able to drive there every day. I won't need yeah. to. I mean, if it's in Bay City, even if it's in Saginaw, technically, it wouldn't matter. Yeah. I'd be able to drive to the location every day. I wouldn't stay in the hotel. That would be, our, our man's, that'd be our silly. Man's, yeah, our man's familiar. Um, Midland's nearby is another city. I'm, I should look there. Um, I kind of like the Bay City location because that's right on the river, but I bet Midland has some stuff, so I will keep keep looking. It looks like a lot of folks don't mind. CBK's driving from Georgia, so another mile wouldn't matter. Um, uh, that would be really cool. Yeah, we got some people that look to be interested. That would be, I tell you what, when we get this off the ground, if these folks, some of these folks show up, I can't wait. I'll be totally pumped to see you guys. It'll be fun. It'll be awesome. Yeah. We'll have to have a friendly competition with uh, with uh, AvengerCon as far as attendees. Yeah. yeah. We beat you. Ha ha. Ha ha. You fun. beat us. We'll get you next time. Woo. Yeah. We'll get you and your little dog too. Yeah. Yeah, Bay City's where I'm leaning, but our man, I don't know why I didn't think of Midland, but uh, I have to look. I'll look at Midland there, our man. Not a bad idea. I'll be hoping for Bay City. Yeah, that would be convenient for a lot of our folks, but I just want a good view. I, I, I think Midland will not offer the price that I want. I think Bay City might. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, anyway, Alrighty. big. You want to tell them stuff since they're here? Tell them to do the things? The things are we talking about? Oh, we already talked about Big Geek Adventuring, right? Well, I have, well, I have not exactly. Oh, I should talk about that. Then we'll do that. Um, yeah. Big Geek Adventures is again the working title of our little adventure, my adventure writing uh, quest. I have requested some art from someone on this stream, my buddy Patrick. I've uh, given him the first look at the module, very rough draft. He's going to tear it to pieces and tell me how I need to fix all the dumb stuff. He's an English guy. Um, I would like to thank Taylor at Clerks Wear Ringmail for uh, making a tutorial that I hope can <laughs> my dumb, com illiterate computer brain can follow, and I'll be able to make a pretty decent map. Don't expect anything fabulous. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to give it a try. I'm feeling pretty good. I want to start getting into nice form, and if I get to chat with David Guile tonight, I may even bend your ear on module writing, David. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Cal says he's in California. So if I go somewhere else to tend to con, yeah, that's that's what I'm worried about. So if Cal makes the trek from the yeah, out of towners, it's probably better that we don't uh, we plan it so that they can 
they have to do as little driving or walking Absolutely. or whatever. I want to yeah. keep them close by. So, but uh, even if I have to put uh, Cal in my guest room so he can, he can ride with me every morning. <laughs> I, I think he would not like that either. He probably would not. Even that's still traveling. Yes. Even if you're doing the driving. That's true. And I'll be up bright and early every day. So, I mean, you, know. you, would, you would put him in the trunk, so, or, or on the hood. Oh, man, David is offering to spruce up the map. I may let you spruce. No charge. David, you might be my best friend now. Joe, get lost. Um, <laughs> Gerald Davis asked. Remember, remember who has the power of this oh, uh, particular okay all right david joe's still the best friend okay. uh, <laughs> gerald davis asks any play test material hopefully soon yes maybe that's the plan i got the module written out it's got to make it look nice we got to finish it though back to the original topic we're not even close to getting the, well we're about halfway through it so but yeah we play through it yeah <laughs> yeah we yeah <laughs> You got right to where we ended. It's crazy. Well, we we got to the we got to the spot, and then we yeah. got we were getting hammered. Right, you had to retreat. So we retreated. I think, I think we just no, we weren't even getting. We got hammered by the freaking ogre. The, the, yeah, the ogre wasn't there. Random was there? Encounter. Yeah, yeah. So we had a random encounter that knocked our hit points down and spells and whatnot. When yeah. we had, and there were going to be two of them. Yeah. We ran from the second one, who was, likely, who was uh, most likely bigger. Right. So so we ran from that, and by the time we got to the, the, the main thing... Oh, and then there was the um, the goblins. Yes, the goblins, too. The goblins uh, didn't help. Um, you would think my goblins would be helpful. <laughs> no. Oh, Gal says it's better to have him guarded, so... Cal is going to be not unlike Ed Greenwood, Greenwood years ago at Gen Con. He's going to need a handler. So we'll, <laughs> we'll get on that, Cal. You're going to have a handler, bud. <laughs> right. So we um, we had two encounters before we got back to, like, ground zero. And by the time we got to, the um, like, the front door of the module, so to speak, we were already low on hit points and spells, yep. considering we only have one – well, no, we had two casters. Yeah. And we and the barbarian uh, could only get healing from one of the, the two. Yep. Um, so. Yes. We ended up having to go back to town. Mm-hmm. We hired a, a couple of archers um, as retain. Uh, you know, it's just uh, re- were they considered retainers? They're retainers, best for the rules. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so they, off. they were good. And, oh, they! I rolled very well for them. So they look like like. Um, a couple of budding. Uh, um, oh, look at oh. that! Cal that? popular. Tim wants to handle Cal, and Martinson wants to handle Cal. Ooh! <laughs> All right. Two on one handling. So you are very welcome to come, Cal. As you can see, you're popular. <laughs> so we had a couple of budding Robin Hoods uh, yeah. that I, that my character hired. Yep. Um, because my character has the highest charisma. Yep. And uh, so it worked out pretty good. Um, and yeah, they, they, we would, we probably would not have made it without the archers, most likely. Patrick, don't tell them that. Dude's not cabin con handling. No, no, no. This, 
this is Big Geek Con, which is family friendly. Ca- right. Cabin Con, eh, not so much. Right. So he's not into those guys, so he just wants me. I understand. So I can just imagine, though, Randy. Imagine if my character wasn't the only one with a couple of retainers. Right. What if we had a whole? You know, everybody had a one or two. Right. That would have been. I think it would have got unmanageable, and we yeah. would have just plowed. We would have plowed through the the module like it was nothing. Yeah, and I, and I don't know. I don't know how that. I don't know if I that concept ruins the whole idea of an adventuring party. So I think I think if we have. We, we should, um, as a group, probably if we get more, mm-hmm. we should um, maybe one extra. Um, well, we were down two PCs, though. Yeah. So that makes a difference, too. But I would say we should limit our combative retainers to maybe one more. And the rest, we should just um, do camp followers and such. Yeah. Have, you know. Yeah. Cal says they just want his painted minis. Yeah, that's a fact, dude. Patrick and Tim both are big minis fans. You and Patrick could compare the the massive collection of minis. Patrick has a huge one. All right. Um, anyway, I think that's all I got. You got anything else during updates and stuff, or be ready to tell them to do some things? We're gonna we're gonna give you some instruction, yo. Yeah. Follow this very very carefully what Joe's about to put on the screen. It's vitally important. Subscribe. Do it. Do it. Subscribe, like, share, um, jump into chat if you aren't. Um, um, they are talking about lots of stuff over there that I they couldn't are. keep up with. I'm trying. Um, and it's oh, in here. David Giles says boo. No, boo to the fact that uh, I was not. He can't be my best friend. You have to be my best friend. Why would you say boo to that? He wants to be my best friend. He has low standards. <laughs> oh, man. Legion transcribed instead of subscribed. We're in trouble now. Holy cow. Look at cow. Holy cow, cow. I'm about 4,000 painted. Dude. You know, you can become a machine with stuff like that. Once you um, once you get a good, good technique, you can set out sets and then you get a color, and then you every every uh, you can paint that color on several uh, minis, and then you can just uh, rinse and repeat with different colors. But I have not gotten any kind of uh, skill like that down yet. CBK says, "What's going to be the age limit?" I'll have a fourteen going on fifteen. Who would love to play? He's thirteen. We're, we're not planning on having one, I don't think. No, um, I will say that I am planning. Um, I am willing to run a kid a, a, a very kid-friendly game probably for somewhere i mean i would go as low as the age is probably eight to ten but yeah i'd even do young teenagers but heck 13 year old could play in my regular game i don't do r-rated stuff we don't plan on doing stuff like that um if someone did run an r-rated game i would notate that in the in the schedule so um yeah i Absolutely, he's welcome. The only issue you bring a little, a little baby or probably Tim, would be hard to pull off. What are you laughing at? Can you make the subscribe message bigger? My roommate can't see it from the couch. <laughs> I work on that Indigo Dragon. No, yeah, yeah. More, or more likely, um, Max from Legion of Myth will work on it because, yeah, he, that's his anyway. Max says he's out. The kids are going to be there. 
<laughs> oh well. Oh, Max is going to be there. He's a, he, but I, yeah. Don't worry about it's. It's, it's not like every table has to be that way. It's just the venue in general. Yeah. Tables can do what they want. And I was thinking of them, Tim Scott. I absolutely want to run some uh, games for your boy, but Tim's got a young one. One of our friends just had a baby too. You bring really small ones, not going to be much for them to do, but if they're into D and D, they can roll dice and they can halfway follow rules. And Cal, he Cal acts like he's 14. So do I sometimes. So heck 14 is about right. 12 in nine. I know the boys, they have, they can play one, only one child per table. (laughs) I may have, well, you know, you can, if you run your own adventure, you can say only adults. That's not a problem. Um, I'm thinking I'm going to have an event. If there's enough coming, I'm just going to have an event where I'm going to say children. So if you're ages eight to like 14, 15, you want to play with kids, that'll be it. I know teenagers sometimes get a little squirrely when you have little kids there. So, but uh, there will be adult tables. There will be, yeah, absolutely. I, I can imagine that, especially in the evening. I'm trying to find a place that'll let us stay as late as we can because I know ga- gamers love to uh, play late. So that's one. Right. Thing. So if if it's uh, going to be one massive conference room, that's one reason why we want it to be um, one way. But if it's going to be uh, several adjoining conference rooms, right. we could designate one or more of them as the adult place. <laughs> and by adult, I just mean, you know, not, you got to have like all sex crap in your games. But Right. So there's going to be the F-bomb flying around right, and don't stuff. Don't watch your mouth. Don't worry about little kids. Right, right, right. We could easily do that. If it's um, if we have the space and we have the desire, we can easily do that. What I what the reason I'm going to the reason that I insisted and Randy agreed uh, on calling it family friendly overall. Yeah. Is um what that will attract and what that will keep away. Right. We hope clearly designating it family friendly will give it a vibe where, where the people who, uh, the people that we will want to be there will be there and less people that we wouldn't like to be there. We don't want to just single out by name or anything like that because we don't want to do that. Um, may not show up or may show up, and not, and behave appropriately. So we just want, uh, we want, and we want our friends with kids to bring their kids. They, and a lot of them, we don't want them to give them another, uh, have them have to pay to come and then find, and then pay a babysitter. So. Okay. Our, our, um, the groomer room. <laughs> Max Boy Van. <laughs> the groomer room. Uh, 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 I'm not sure I want these dudes here. Look at Max, Legion of Myth. Instead of characters losing hit points, player loses clothes. I've seen some of you and you me. I guarantee this will ensure everyone survives. Right, right. <laughs> okay, that was good. That was good. All right. Yeah, cool. That's fine. Uh, yeah. Games after 11, uh, someone mentioned that. Hey, we'll see what happens. Once I get it going, I'm going to talk to Avenger. I, I think I can get a website set up or at least the tabletop event set up. And we'll see. Anybody that offers games, I'll I'll put you in at eleven to four o'clock slot if you want. You won't find me there because Randy turns into a pumpkin eleven o'clock. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> players. Well, uh, Legion of Myth says players have a horror factor of sixteen, especially when they are um, uh, naked. 
<laughs> or near it, near to it. That would be generous for me, but yeah, <laughs> 16. <laughs> okay. Shall we slide into the main topic then since we've rambled slide, on? Let's slide in. Yeah. That doesn't have any extra meanings to it. No, pay no attention to that. So our first, uh, our topic here is I wanted to look at some great D&D modules and adventures. And um, we could talk about just list them, but the point is I, uh, Joe will have links for a couple of websites that list, not always complete. We found some of them were not quite on the ball with things, but right. I found adventures for each version of the game. And when I say version, I mean, back me, the old school games, and then uh, AD&D, first edition, second edition, and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, some of these lists are inaccurate. They yeah, list, but, they're, uh, but they're okay. They're okay. At least it, it, it uh, aggregates them together, and then it, they're easy to go through. And so as you look, though, I was starting to, I was telling Joe before we got on here, I thought I would just type up some of the modules I've owned in the past. It was a heck of a lot harder than I thought because I had a bunch of them. So, um, But I've sold a big part of my collection, which I've kind of regret now but i mean like i said i've got a good buy got a good bicycle off of that deal so i can't really um complain but what i was really wondering was do you think i think the adventures of old and it could be because of the era not because of the adventure when i went to conventions or met people that have been playing DD in the past say in the early 80s i think module experiencing a module adventure kind of gave us a it, it bound us as like, oh, we had a similar experience, and how was your experience different than mine? And a lot of folks played adventure modules. You know, they didn't do all... There was a, definitely a group that played homebrew, for sure, but there was a good enough people. If you mentioned Temple of Elemental Evil, someone would say, oh yeah, we played through that, and when my group did that, what happened whenever you went, whenever you got down and faced off against Loretta the Beautiful? How did you guys do? Um, I think I think that's something that makes them kind of special, you know, at least some of those modules from that era, but it might've been a numbers game. There weren't as many RPGers then as there are now. I'm guessing if 5e stuff is to be, I can't imagine that there are, because we're now grown up, we're in a world where playing D&D, first of all, is definitely cool. Second, we're seeing it in movies. It's part of the zeitgeist. So I can't believe that um, it's not a popular, uh, a more popular game. Um, but what, do you think the old modules kind of bound us together as gamers, as players? I think it served in a way because we had a shared experience. We could talk about stuff like you said. Um, what about the giant green mouth? How did you handle that? Well, I did. I got killed, you know, and. You know, how, how many people here stepped into the mouth right here? And, and then there's others that are like, no, I waited for everybody else to. And I'm like, I'm the only one who survived. <laughs> so big green mouth. Everybody who from back in the day should understand what that means. Yeah. So uh, another thing we should say is um, potential spoilers ahead. Yeah. When we get into talking about specific modules, which I'm thinking we're going to do okay. at some point. We're going to talk about specific modules. We might give things away a bit. Um, these, Many of the ones we're going to talk about are decades old, so I'm not going to feel bad about spoiling any of them because they're freaking old. Um, We're going to disagree with Mr. Max Boivin here. He says playing D&D is not cool, and he follows that up with 
just because a bunch of weirdos join the hobby doesn't make it cool. Quite the opposite. I wouldn't say that. From from my perspective, D and D is a super cool game. And someone that doesn't think it is, it's fine. You can call it nerdy, but maybe it's not cool in the sense that most people would think popular popularity cool stuff. But in this day and age, it kind of is. It has a bigger cultural mm-hmm. cultural footprint than definitely than it did when, when back in the eighties, for sure. Um, cool is a subjective term, so yeah, what, I think so yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think I know what he's saying, though. I mean, you could make his argument. I think. Um, how do you think? So, other than just us playing the same module, you think it's the? I can't say seminal scenes because everybody thinks if you're playing Temple of Elemental Evil, I would label the encounter with Loretta the Beautiful one of the big encounters that I remember. But I've also only run the village of Hamlet portion multiple times didn't make it all the way through the temple several times. I did make it through once, but I've also not made it through. I wonder if certain scenes in an adventure, um, certain scenes or encounters in adventure stand out to others. Like when you get to that spherical room in lost caverns of Sojanth and you realize she's not a princess. Spoiler. She's a vampire yeah. <laughs> and a fighter too. So she becomes quite, quite the, uh, quite the combat encounter. Uh, now the reward is great, but. Oh yeah. If yeah. you survive that, holy crap. And that's green, a haul. And Tomb of Horrors, the green devil's mouth will kill you. You get to the Demi Lich. He will probably kill you. I mean, <laughs> to be fair, the Tomb of Horrors is just death on a stick. So oh, boy, um, uh, talk about some luck surviving that. Yeah, but these are the old school ones. Um, and I, for me, is it just because I'm old? I don't know if there's any, the closest module in my mind, and that's more in our group. I'm not sure if the other guys here that are listening. Um, L says, Randy, is there a question out? Or are you just, maybe it's someone else. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Okay. Maybe he's not hearing me. Are you not hearing me? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I lost track. Okay, I'm going to try to put a a um, link here. Let's see if that works. There you go, dude. Crafty Matt just hit it on the head. Controversial opinion. I don't think so. Despite how Five E turned out, Lost Minds of Fandover will go down as a great adventure. I think you're right. Ten or twenty years from now, are there many of those? We older folks reminisce about old adventures. One E, two E, basic. Third edition, the only one I can think of that I would say, well, maybe two. And this will be more our group. Rapanathook. That's more from just reading it. We haven't played it, played it a lot. I haven't. And when we have played is Rise of the Rune Lords. And our massive group of friends, I know of at least three different DMs that have run that campaign. And we've talked about it. Right. Um, and then Crafty Matt just mentioned Lost Minds of Fandelver. I have zero comment on 4th edition. Anybody that played heavy 4th edition, do 4th editioners have a module that they think would, could you put them with the likes of Keep of the Borderlands? Keep on the Borderlands. Oh, sorry. You got something? Oh, see you, Legion. Take care, bud. Um, oh. Okay. Well, the Tomb of Annihilation 
but isn't that a rejigger of uh, of uh, Tomb of Horror, or is it different? It's a continuation, I believe. Uh, they do okay. use a Sarah but it's a little more. It's a different twist. It's not just Tomb of Horrors. Yeah. Lots of people talk about Kingmaker. Yeah. From Pathfinder. Yep. Which oh. is, for mm-hmm. all intents and purposes, third edition with a different label. Yeah. With, and that's Rise of the Rune Lords is also Pathfinder. Correct. Uh, Malachi says he thinks some of the Citadel was the only three E adventure converted to fight. Nope. Forge of Fury is also in there, bud. And I think Tomb of Horror is a one E. But Forge of Fury, which, by the way, I do think the Sunless Citadel is a potentially classic. Um, a potentially classic third edition era adventure. I thought it was really good. Um, Keep on the Borderlands for most people only because it's one of the earlier adventures would say, yeah, that's cool. But it, Cal even says a good point. Keep on the Borderlands. He says, Keep has some problems. I agree. One of it is it's kind of dull when I look at it now. <laughs> but it is a nice it is a nice set piece to begin a campaign in but there's not much motivation um, yeah um, Malachi, Malachi Forge of Fury was the second in a series of they had um, blue outline on the modules uh, that was the first third edition module was Sunless Citadel Forge of Fury something of the dream speaker I forgot then the last one was like Bastion of Broken Souls, which was a super high-level adventure. I ran characters of 19th and 20th level through that, and it was really pretty cool, actually. Um, and I agree with Crafty Matt. Isle of Dread is one of the better older modules. Yeah, Isle of Dread. That's Isle of Dread. That has King Kong on it, essentially, right? Uh, Do I remember that correctly? I think you're thinking of Isle of the Ape. Great Isle of the Ape, yeah. But Isle of Dread had some dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. Um, and it's a really good... Uh, sandboxy style adventure though you probably would have issues with people if you made that module and released it right now because don't is aren't there kind of primitives on there yeah on the aisle yeah, yeah. it would hurt people's feelings yeah it hurt uh, them in the fields though it'd still be fun l ask is it keep more like a setting that's fair that's a fair yeah, statement. that's fair and all the dread could be all of dread could also be uh, a setting, and yes, Malachi Keep has the Caves and Chaos. I do have, the, I don't have my original modules, but I do have the Goodman Games uh, Adventures. What's it called? Reincarnated. I got all yeah. of them. so, and I just I'm getting Dark Tower soon too. So that's pretty sweet. Um, I tell you what, I I don't know. Has anybody had much experience with organized play adventures? Do any I of you do. know us? Huh? You do. I do. And I did a little bit of Pathfinder Society. Do any of those stick out in comparison to the classic adventures of any edition? Only is, in my opinion, a third edition um, RPGA modules mm-hmm. were horrible. Really? So our shared experience was this sucks. We get, well, we're going to get through it so we can level our characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was a, it was just a mechanical game. Yeah. I, I think even when I played Pathfinder Society, I played in year zero at Gen Con. I ran some games year zero and Pathfinder was new. We got the books in advance. We ran, um, no year zero. We ran three, five rules in year one. We had the Pathfinder book. 
and while they had some decent stories, I do think Paizo, at least back then, probably wrote better modules than Wizards. Um, the way people played them tend to be, I want to get through this. What kind of magic items can I buy at the end? They had a weird rule about at the end, you get all this gold, you split it up, and you can buy these magic items from the module. So every every player could have the plus one sort of coolness, even though there was only one in the module. Um, I found that really weird. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Cal, Tomb of Annihilation, he says, is too da- is so dangerous, it really grinds to a crawl. I did not enjoy playing it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Tomb of Annihilation is not one of the 5e books that I have. Um, I agree with Crafty Matt. Outside of the D&D sphere, I think Sailors of the Starless Sea for DCC is going to be a classic because I hear a lot of people loving that one. And I have oh, okay. to run it. it you is, have it? I do have it, but it's a... You won't like it. It's a funnel. <laughs> well, that's that's not much. That's not much of a module. Yeah. Oh no, it's a thick little module. It's actually not bad. It's probably so. But it's, it's the whole thing's a funnel, or it starts with a funnel. I think the whole thing's a funnel. Am, am I right, Crafty and uh, Malachi? How can it be very thick? Funnels aren't supposed to. They're supposed a funnel is supposed to be a one evening. I would think so. Oh, thick and maybe thick's not the right word. It's it's a solid, full fledged adventure. Um, oh, he says it can be run as a normal adventure as well. Okay, just because it's a funnel. Yeah, um, I agree with Patrick. I do think that DCC uh, modules are the current Cadillac in terms of production value. I do agree with that. Uh, they look really nice. I've got a handful of them. Um, I don't see the one. Hold on a second. I'm gonna grab one. Um, let me see. I don't know if you can still hear me, but yeah, Malachi says um, it's a funnel, but you can run it with a level one uh, players characters. I'd love to run it with CNC uh, castles and crusades. Um, yeah, castles and crusades. Crusades. Okay, yeah, you got it. This is the one that I I got several of them, but this is the the chained coffin. It's a box set. I haven't opened it yet. I got this dirt cheap at some game store was selling that. And um yeah, I think they're they're beautiful. I love the artwork. I mean, I love this kind of throwback mm-hmm. to old school, a little bit over the top. And was it Kovalik, I think, is the artist. But um yeah, I think DCC has a real they have a niche of people that just love those modules. Um yeah. Kovalik, the same guy who does the art for um, I'm um, wrong. Is it Kovalik? Because Kovalik does the art for the Munchkin cards. I could be confused. Not Dave Kovalik. Who is the guy? Who is their big dude? Does anyone know? Um, 24 to 36 pages. Yeah, they're the old form. Um, Doug Kovacs. Thank you, Malachi. Kovacs. Kovacs. Got confused. Yeah. Um, I think the art... Cal hit it. Cal, the art is evocative. I think in a lot of the modules, when I would go to a store, even back in the day, that's what drew me in. When I saw that collected Temple of Elemental Evil, Joe, you have that one, don't you? You have it handy? Aren't you? Um, yes, okay. Temple of Elemental Evil. Dude, this is to me. This is this is. This common. was cool. <laughs> yeah, that's a third-party Lich Lords. That's a high-level one. Uh, Isn't that the? That's the one where they have the crowns. Yes. If yes. you beat them and you get those crowns, they're multiple. Yeah. 
there was an original, the l- original little booklet, Village of Hamlet, and then Temple of Hamlet. Yeah, this is the super module. That it's day. a worn, a very worn module. Oops. Very well. It's pile of his, pile of his uh, uh, different uh, maps. But I love that. That was so, evo- when I saw that, it was just snagged and I had yeah. to have it. I wish I had it in a better, in better shape. The uh, You'd be able to see the art a bit better. Mm-hmm. But I yeah, that's all really those. cool. And kick myself for getting rid of those now. I got rid of them too soon. Yeah. So, I, but back to organized play. I don't. Even though they're meant to bring people together, I think the experience just wasn't. I didn't feel it was the same as when I used to talk with people and they go, "Did you ever play against the Giants?" Oh yeah, dude, that was great. Blah blah blah. Um, it doesn't seem to. I don't know. Resonate with me anyway. As much. Yeah, I think numbers we were you were alluding to earlier, the numbers in our hobby probably does have an effect on that. Yeah. Um, if it's a larger group, then and it seemed more special, perhaps because it was a smaller group of people talking about it, as opposed to now and the module there were few in number right at that point right like in the ad and uh, era there were several but still compared to now uh, there were that's it's few in number right now you can get crap tons of modules if you need them a lot of free stuff um from lots of different people um, back in the day, you really had you had you had maybe one or two third-party um, purveyors of D and D materials, um, and they barely got away with it without getting sued. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. So I'm sure they had to buy a license, and it was not cheap, and that's why there were very few people doing it. Yeah. So you had a few more modules, so you had more. It seemed like you had. Um, I'm not. I don't know how to verbalize it. It just seemed more, more intimate. This is not yeah, the right word. Experience felt more intimate. There weren't as many players. D and D was wasn't as quite popular. Okay, I'll use popular instead of cool, Mister Bavan. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it sound, it seemed special. Um, I think third edition and the OGL, when they started bombarding the, the land with modules and adventures, I mean, as a DM, I loved it. I bought a bunch and some good folks uh, came out. Um, a good adventures, like I think Wolfgang Bauer created something that was pretty good. I had one of those. Um, oh, Iron Man Judges Guild, dude. Yeah, that was a that was a popular thing. He said he was all about those. Um, Teagle Manor, uh, that was famous. Though I don't recall that one being very good. Maybe you can correct me on it. I read that multiple times. I own the original. Well, I don't know if it was the first print, but it was the newspaper version of with the bluish cover. And I thought it was the most boring sounding adventure I'd ever read. But is that the one where they go on and on about that one dude's art who's now not a dude? Um, no, you're thinking. Of, or is that some other no, uh, Judges Guild thing? Ju- that was a uh, Dark Tower. Oh, Dark Tower. Yeah. used to be Paul's. Now, not Julie. What's his some, name? Some J word. Anyway, yeah. Uh, Jan- Jan- Janelle? 
Sequoia's? That sounds right. Anyway, um, yeah. Uh, Teagle Manor. Uh, I don't have Blackmore. Cal has Teagle Manor. I just I didn't enjoy that one very much. Janelle, thank you, Malachi. Janelle, Jaquay's. Uh So anyway. But you don't remember it being good. I don't remember being good. Yeah, it was not. I, mean, I had it for the longest time, and I just it had a great little fold-out map. Let me rephrase that. It had a great, huge fold-out map of this fortress, manor fortress. It was a manor, but it was like a fortress, and it was. Uh, it looked cool. Maybe as as a young guy, I just thought, eh, it doesn't read very. I was more into the action, you know. I wanted modules that right into right. right. It just didn't seem to. But I'm sure those that have played it go, oh no, Randy, you're missing out. Um, I know when I was younger, though I played it, I didn't like Castle Amber that much, but I ran a piece of that at um, a little tiny portion of that at VengerCon, and Castle Amber is now one of my favorite, one of my favorite Gonzo little, what do they call those, roller coaster ride adventures? Definitely. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, it's unpredictable unless you've played through it, then you know what to expect. But if you've never played in this kind of a module before, it is very if you want if you want your your if you want predictable if you want to know that you have enough spells and hit points and all that stuff uh you've made your character correctly yeah none of that matters no 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 Not you really you really have to be a skillful player i think to get yeah. through it as written yeah uh without just running from everything yeah. I mean, you could yeah. run around it in circles or whatever and stay there forever. Which, if you want the adventures to be tailored to your abilities, play third edition. And I'm not pooping on it. I like it. There's there's a time where, that's fun, where that was fun. It was really fun. And if you want it to be tailored, play third edition. If you want an easy time, in my opinion, play fifth edition. Um, but to be fair, I've played little to no mm, official modules on fifth edition. Um, so it may not. I mean... Our uh, my my general opinion may not be accurate. I think uh, fifth edition is D and D with uh, bubble wrap around it. Yeah, and handrails because yeah, yeah I, as is it's yeah killing characters has to be kind of you have to make it you have to purposely try. My plan is to kill characters, so I'm going to do this. Folks talked about last week about exhaustion and stuff, and so that sounds pretty brutal. Um, right. Is there a difference? So, yeah. Go ahead. Now, I was just going to, I'm just wanting to reinforce the, the kind of module that Castle Amber is, is probably not something that would be popular with lots of people these days, at least not initially. So if you're used to um, your, your, the likelihood of your character surviving being high and your um, mental uh, faculties not being taxed high, uh, then this module may not be your cup of tea. But it might be that style of play might could become your cup of tea once you get in there and and um, play it the way it was meant to by just um, sheer luck sometimes because something mm -hmm. your skill can in a lot of places doesn't matter it's just sheer luck like the table setting yeah. Yeah. You know, there's no there's no way to know what to do with that you're just lucky if you pick the right stuff. Mm -hmm. Crafty says um, you have to go third party to really find great adventures for 5e. I think I agree with that uh, because the ones that I've played have been, when I ran my campaign for a year, levels 1 to 10 of 5e, the best adventures were third party stuff. Yes, Patrick. 
Does anyone remember White Plume Mountain? Dude. I not only remember it. <laughs> I own it. Dude. Much like the hair club for men. Look but at that. Mine's a bit, mine's beat up. I cannot wait until or if they do White Plume Mountain reincarnated. Because I need to get that. Because I just don't want to pay the money to buy those old modules again. But I would take one of those reincarnated. Um, yeah. Um, do you think... Um, so there's a difference between uh, good modules and good memories, right? Sure, sure. So, I, you know, it's probably... You could probably put up some objective um, measures on what makes a good module, even though the word good is subjective. You may be able to say, have some qualifiers that say whether this module is good or not. And maybe the, some, a lot of the old modules that we played wouldn't live, wouldn't be able to live up to that standard, uh, especially when it comes to production value, because a lot of them didn't have high production value because that didn't exist a lot back in the day. There's some evocative art, but overall, the interiors were kind of lackluster. Um, a judge's Guild was bad at that. I mean, when you look at some of their early stuff, it's mm -hmm. it's not great. Right. But uh, that was that was state of the art at the time for production value in gaming. Yeah. Because there, you know, there wasn't a lot of money to be made, so you couldn't spend a lot of money on on your product. Yeah. And there wasn't a lot of um, stuff that we have uh, access to these days where you can um, produce something on your computer for, for cheap. But you know what? For production quality, I would give it to you, though I think there were some. Like, I think the Temple, Tomb of Horrors, guys, in first edition, when they, I think that was the first adventure where they gave you a pack of maps and visual aids to show to the players. I love those. You got that in Lost Caverns. You got that in Temple of Elemental Evil. I don't know if they had all the pictures, but I know that was really cool. To me, that was a good production value. They got much better. But, I mean, now they're slick and stuff, but I don't know if they're better. I mean, they Correct, because slick, nice. yeah, yeah. And I would say the older modules, maybe they lacked in story content. They hit the highlights, and then you had to fill in. But that, to me, is also a good thing. It's yeah. not as much of a railroad, maybe as more modern modules are, where you know, you know, the DM has everything laid out for him. He just has to, you know, conduct the train. And yeah, my sensibilities have changed, and I look back at those old modules, and then since I've got the reincarnated ones, when I'm flipping through, that's exactly what I'm thinking. I'm like, dude, they're giving me all kinds of room to do my own thing. Um, so. Yeah, I think I think the older modules, while they weren't like you know, I would say Pathfinder Adventure Paths during the in the during the Pathfinder era one e, they wrote some good stories, but they were pretty. I wouldn't say people would say they're railroads. I don't know. Um, Elle says, Joe, you have to think about printers also. Modules aren't good housekeeping magazine print. Lucky they are not newsprint. Right, uh, yeah. back in the day, they did what they could. I'm not. I'm not saying that they purposefully made crappy stuff, uh, but when you look over time, even by the time second edition rolled around, production values started to to um, get better because um, it was cheaper to make those production um, standards. Um, whereas when the game started out, 
making a qual making a a module or a book. I mean, think about the the early the the little pamphlets, right? The box set. Um, that was very low production uh, value. They printed it off of uh, I don't know what they printed it off of because we have much different machinery nowadays. But they did what they could with uh, the resources that they had. And I understand that. Um, Malachi says Dragon Mountain. That was a module, but that was also kind of a setting. I just responded Night Below. That's another box set. CBK Plus says Return to White Plume Mountain. Was that a was that one of the Silver Anniversary Adventures, or is that a third edition adventure? I'm trying to remember. Um, I can't recall that. Um, Crafty Mask got a boogie. See you later, Crafty. Yeah, take care, bud. Um, yeah, I, 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 I remember. Do you remember the silver ones where they did Silver Anniversary Edition of Keep? I had Keep. I had Against the Giants. Um, what was the other one? There was another one, too. I yeah. I think Malachi and you are, are right. I think that's a third edition thing. Silver Anniversary. They uh, came out with a return to a bunch of return twos type thing. Yeah. Those were um those were second edition modules. The silvers were. They were second edition? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. But I think they came out near the end just before they switched the third. That was uh, like, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. And they're going they're going for a pretty penny now if you have them in good shape. But then again, so is most things. Um <laughs> Iron Man makes this is exactly true. I think where I'm feeling it too. Oh, sorry, letting DM fill in the details makes it easier to run. Agreed. Most of the bling and story detail is lost on the player. I have to. I have to um, do something right quick. I'll no be right back. You got this. The DM experiences it mostly. Uh, it markets for the sale, but is mostly yeah. I agree, that, and that's frustrating, isn't it, Iron Man? When you read one of those like a Pathfinder game and there's all these cool, great details and. Um, the players never get to it because they really don't have a reason to seek it out. Um, there were, Oh, thank you, L. That's true. There was also a return to White Plume for 3E online for free. I have that one. I wish I had not sold my silver anniversaries. Those were super cool. Not just for the value, but they would, to me, they would have been great play copies back when I had the original too. Um, I had the originals. I was a, oh God, guys, I mean, I got a bunch of crap back here, but honestly, that's not even half of what I used to have. Uh, Patrick can verify. He's, he's seen my original collection. If this pile was on top of that, it would be, I would need two rooms to keep my crap together. I don't know what the heck I was thinking. I was never going to play through all those. Um, oh, Indigo Dragon says, are there any great modules from the AD&D 2E campaign setting era? Um, for sure. Let me do a little something here uh, while we're waiting for Joseph to come back. He's going to get scared because I'm liable to use some technology here. You know how dangerous that is, guys. I'm going to get you all and get myself into some trouble. I'm going to try to share the screen while Joe's not here. Don't tell him. Let's see here. Uh, no, do, do, do. Um, okay. There we go. Share. And here is a boatload. It claims to be 2E. There might be some 1E. See if you guys can see this in StreamYard. So you'll notice a Paladin in Hell. You can argue how good it was. Ooh, Liberation of Jeff. That is the Against the Giant Silver Anniversary. Fantastic. 
Uh, Cleric's Challenge 1 and 2, a little weak. Uh, Dragonlance stuff, not my cup of tea. I did really enjoy the Eye of Pain, Eye to Eye. Those were the both source books and adventures based on the uh, um, Beholders. They had some with the Beholders, a three-module uh, series. Um, Feast of Goblins had a lot of that's a um, that's a uh, Ravenloft one. You said great modules, Greyhawk Ruins. I don't think I've played that uh, Labyrinth of Madness. That's a tough high-level module. Uh, Gerald Davis asked, had I ever ran one? Yeah, I ran that back in the day. You better be pretty tough to run through that guy. So, yeah, to answer your question, Indigo, there are some bunches. Let's see if, you know, too bad Max left. Um, <laughs> the uh, the Planescape modules I loved. Um, what else did I really like? There's another couple of the... Uh, silver anniversary ones, the apocalypse stone that's a hit and miss. Good old lost caverns of Sojanth. You can't beat that with a stick, man. That is one of the boss adventures around a sweet uh adventure box set. The rod of seven parts they had that. They also had return to the tomb of horrors. So, yeah, but there is just a truckload of really good adventures from that era. I don't, uh, I don't know. Um, uh, where to even begin as to whether they're really that, you know, how which is better than the others. I know I had my favorites. Uh, Night Below, I never had. Joe did. I owned Dragon Mountain. Um, yeah, Crypt of Lazarus, the Mad. Yeah, that was really good. I think in second edition, honestly, had some of the best. So, um, Barrow Maze, Arn Man, that's a that's a newer, old-school adventure by, what's his name? Who's the guy that did that? I want to say Glenn something, but that doesn't sound right. Um, absolutely love the second edition modules. Um, Dead Gods, cool conceptually. Not great the way it played out. Um, the Great Modron March I thought was really cool, pretty open-ended. Um, those are some of my favorites. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know in second edition if they've had as many if there's hasn't many good modules to match the second edition era, in my opinion, I think they were really good. Gillespie, right. Thanks, Malachi. Yeah, it was something Gillespie who did um, the Barrow Maze. Uh, very, supposed to be a very cool old school type adventure. Um, for my money, I, as far as great modules, I think leaving it open-ended, letting the DM do what they want, I don't want to say minimal story, but they weren't, weren't over, overly detailed on the story. Um, it makes it easier and more fun to, to run. Uh, people are just ripping off some really good old school adventures. I think you can take right now. I would take second edition adventures and convert them to whatever version of the game I'm playing. I don't think I would, you know, worry too much about having gruesome detail, but I would just say, well, there's a red dragon here. I'll put a red dragon from this adventure or from this edition. But truth is that would probably mess with the challenge level, but whatever. Um, yeah, I think Malachi's fair here. He likes 2E rules, but prefer 1E module. Okay, that's fine. I'm going to tell him myself, Joe, I shared a screen while you were gone. <laughs> and it worked it worked i think so, so uh uh 
know who was it. Indigo Dragon asked that if there are any good second edition modules. And I, I think second edition had some of the best. Though there's an argument that first edition was, you know, better, maybe. But, there's a difference, I think, between maybe judging it on certain like production quality, like I was talking about, maybe yeah. content somewhat. There's some there's a character too that one edition first edition modules had that I think most other editions lacked. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the unpredictable nature right there were often encounters that were well above the average party level there all there was also the the 1e and 2e thing Mm -hmm. where you could have a spread of levels yes right so you could have anywhere from i mean you could have a five or six level spread nine to twelve was not uncommon for the mid to high levels right And, and um Third edition on, it was always everybody same level, everybody same level. Yeah, yeah. And um, that changed the nature of the game, I think, too, because they tried to make all of the char- character classes on on par, power wise, which they've always failed at, especially with the uh, casters. But L is right. I think um, the drawback was, I think, 1E. He says, weren't 1E less linear? I think that's true. They were a little more wide open. Second, yeah, You had goals, but not necessarily a specific way to get them. Second edition started to lean into the story. I mean, I love Dead Gods, but I talked about it before. There's a start of that adventure for Planescape where it's, I can't remember spe- precisely what it said, but they come to this gate town, and they go to this bar, and they, they'll see these people, and they'll approach them, and they're like, my players may not even go to the bar. They literally have no reason to go to this bar. They can go somewhere else. And they won't go to those people just because you said they would. There was a lot of that. Um, I think mm-hmm. a lot of, and that happened more frequently. I think they were leaning into the story, um, especially near the end of second edition run. Though I never ran the ones that CBK Ply was talking about. I had them like uh, the Star Cairn Crips. And the Crypt of Lazarus, the Mad, these were, I think these were modules set inside um, Undermountain. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, <laughs> what did Elle say? Planescape had a gay town. Some would say all the towns in Planescape are gay. But <laughs> I would not. They may have. That would not be, I mean, every place. I don't remember there. that. I don't remember that at all. But I mean. I mean, there might be, with the, there are the sensates that might have had there might have been some blurb in that uh whatever material is written for that but you know back in second edition i don't remember talking much about sexuality at all no no and even with i we i don't remember us doing a whole lot with the anyway no but for me they were usually like trying weird potions you know licking a wall sensates believed in trying everything um even in um even (laughs) patrick said that was who i was thinking of Max uh, Patrick said that uh, Max would say that <laughs> that all of Planescape is gay. Um, I think the first time I noticed any discussion of me paying any attention to any kind of gay anything was in Pathfinder and Rise of the Rune Lords in that town. Uh, what is it called? Not Suncrest. What is that little town? Sandpoint. They Sandpoint. had a, a gay couple, and and even when I read it, I'm like, why are you telling me this? I literally don't even care. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, Dragonlance. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, I was Dragonlance was a thing unto itself. There might have been other module runs similar, but I think the ones that maybe it's just the ones that we were exposed to that were like what we're talking about. They had goals, but you had multiple ways of attaining them, or they the module provided you with a play area, a dungeon, a wilderness set, stuff like that, and you didn't have to follow a script. In Dragonlance, nah, none of that. You had to you had to follow the script. Yeah, uh, L was saying he thought that's what I said about a gay town. You know, I was probably in full Randy talking fast mode. So yeah, um, maybe he meant Happy Town. <laughs> maybe I did. Uh, um, Randy says you're not. Uh, Max Bobbin says you are not caring. You not caring is probably a hate crime. True, correct. If you don't care about the gayness, then you're hating them, obviously. When I say I don't care, that's what I mean. Do it if you got to. It doesn't affect my game. I'm right, not into right. it. And I'm right, not right. representing it. I'm not in the representation. There you go. I'm in trouble. You're so, in trouble. The adventure. Yes. Yes, Cal. I must be watched. Hey, when Big Geek Con comes along, we can watch each other. I can be your handler to make sure you don't get in trouble, and you can be my handler. Now he has three? No, it'll just be me and Cal. I think it's a special thing. I don't want that to. I don't want to ruin that. Sounds that. gay. Now I know, but it's not. It's completely platonic, platonic gay sounding. <laughs> so, um, anyway, uh, <laughs> handling each other malically in a friendly way. <laughs> oh, that, doesn't, that doesn't help. That doesn't help. Next, um, I don't. So. Um, CBK Ply, I think, or no, um, where is that? Who is it? Someone just shared, I can't remember who it is, just shared an image of um, Crypt of, the, of Lysandrid the Mad. So yes. it's not, it wasn't, it wasn't um, the other name. Someone had a different name, but it was right. Lysandrid the Mad. Yeah, uh, and, there was a, they had a series of adventures for Forgotten Realms that was all set in Undermountain, and they were connected through the Undermountain uh thing yeah uh oh i remember this one uh man of war neighbor the beast he just dug out the tote with part of his 1e collection found i three through five desert of desolation series um fantastic series hope it remains forgotten by watsy <laughs> you don't want him to ruin it ruin it huh yeah i have one of those yeah. no i have one of the desert of desolation over here we talked yeah. about it pharaoh you have the pharaoh. yeah 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 oasis of the white palm oh sorry yeah mm-hmm was that ever of the white palm is a very very cool cover i think that was put into a super module once too i know the slave lord series was put into a super module against the giants was with the silver anniversary and temple but i'm not sure about the others yeah I'm, yeah oh yeah yeah crypt of Alexander. i had that that's cool yeah it was a super module thanks so now yeah those were great i had i had a, probably all those at one time so we're sharing we're sharing the uh, cover of Crypt of Lysandrid the Mad yeah, or Lysandrid, however you pronounce it. Um, it's not something that I'm familiar with. So hold on, I'm going to grab a module. Um, Is this Sean Reynolds the same Sean K Reynolds? I don't think so. Ah. Salt Marsh. Yeah, I remember people talking about Salt Marsh modules Maliki, but I don't know that I've played in any. For third edition, 
for third edition, I have um, see, yeah, you did, Joe, because we played in. Uh, I ran um, Danger at Dunwater multiple times. Okay, so in, I stand in, corrected. Yeah. Um, here is one of the third edition modules that I thought were pretty cool. Uh, Expedition, you can't hardly read that. Expedition to the Demon Web Pits. I have the one to the Ruins of Greyhawk and for Castle Ravenloft. And they did some of this. We're putting monsters in the back. And I think, let me see if I, yeah, this was kind of interesting. So you would have a scene, and I'm not sure how much of that I can show. It's called the Ambassador of Pazuzu. And then they would put a battle map. So the map would be right on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of like that, but sometimes I would get lost because you would need to have, I don't know if they had it. They must have had a full-fledged map of the whole adventure somewhere. Yeah, they would. And then they would expand as needed on the scene. So that wasn't a bad way to do it. I, I would place these adventures pretty high in my list as, as watch the adventures that I thought were excellently put together. Um, though it may not be to everybody's taste. It does say can't. it's a campaign adventure for levels 9 to 12, so that was kind of the exception um, rule. Patrick is asking if that is a return to the queen of the demon web pits. Not a return. Kind, well, kind of thing. Kind of. It's the expedition. I have expedition. Right, right, right. But what he's asking is, is this a sequel type of thing to the demon web pits? Or a reimagining, or re- something like that, retelling. More like, yeah, more like a sequel reimagining. It was not a reprint, so you were playing a new adventure. Um, I thought it was pretty cool. Ooh, look at CBK is going to do. He's going to run Lysander the Mad at Big Geek Con. Sweet, that sounds Sweet. good. Sounds good. Um, Patrick, or what is it? Um, Patrick asked the question earlier too. A good question. I was doing that as I left. He says. Who was it that claimed that companies shouldn't make modules because they make no money? Well, I had heard back in the transition from 3rd to 3.5, and I believe Malachi answers it, that it wasn't a lot of money in module making because only one of one in a group would buy it. Um, Malachi responded, he thinks it was Watsy. That's why the hardcovers are, are taking over multiple levels, usually pretty close to tw- 20. So... Back in the third edition era, they were saying modules just weren't making that much money. But it's pretty hard to create a game and then not support it and expect people to play it. Um, if, if you if you create a game and say, just make your own adventures, I get that was kind of the thing early on. But I think now people expect modules to show up. Gerald Davis, when is Big GeekCon? We'll be telling you shortly. We are working on it. So I expect you, your brother, and your father to be up here for that. So that's some family. I, I got to get my family to come to this. That'd be cool. That'd be awesome. You guys can meet other nerd-like people like me. Yeah, I, I think that's the plan, CBK. Uh, we'll see what happens. I'll have uh, Right now, it's tentative. Um, anyway. Yeah, I think that... Uh, whether or not modules make money has never been a solid thing throughout the history of our hobby. Sometimes they're money makers, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they put too much money in the module itself, in the production of it, and then it doesn't probably make, especially the box set modules from uh, from second uh, second edition. I think at that time they were so costly some people say that having the box sets of the settings 
was um, why they didn't make money hmm. was uh, and uh, per se. And I think that it's probably they spent too much money on them. If they would have sold them as uh, paperback or hardback books that were shorter instead of having full blown box sets for most of them, they probably would have done much better. But um, on modules the same way. And, and it could be at particular times that producing them was expensive and they couldn't make their money back on them because they didn't sell enough. And that could not that could uh, be because of their marketing. That could be because they were poor modules. It may not be because modules don't make money. It could be that their module people didn't know how to do modules. So there's too many factors to consider to just say modules don't make money. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that's true. Well, let's go back. We have some good comments here. They're getting lively. Um, L said, uh, Randy, to me, someone recently commented on that five five modules are one AP, but now most books are for players. Yeah, that's weird in five E. They throw a lot of stuff for players in these books. Patrick followed up. Now, I wonder if this is true. DCC seems to have mastered making money with modules. They're at least making them. I wonder if they're making lots of lots of money. Um, well, I think that it's possible that they are. I don't know their numbers. I don't know either. But it's also possible that they hit. It's one thing. I think they've developed a following, a very, a very loyal following. And they support their followers by putting out material for them mm -hmm. that is congruent with their brand. So I think that they have a good, uh, if their modules are making money yep. and they seem to have con consistent uh, releases, I think that they just are, um, they are doing it right when it comes to their, the people that like their products. And near the end of third edition, Paizo destroyed that concept because they were originally a module making company. They just mm -hmm. made APs. Um, Omenow makes a good point. He's followed by Indigo Dragon. He says, player buy books, players buy books, but DMs are collectors. Probably true. Indigo Dragon, thinking that modules don't make money is wrong thinking, considering that the RPG industry is fueled by GMs. It's GMs that buy the majority of our... I think, dude, I know in my groups, I am definitely one of the top people when it comes to buying RPG. Always have been. Um, I, yeah, they've got to be making some, but to me, it feels like you could have... Um, you could you could afford for at least a couple of modules to be loss leaders to get people into your game. Know what I'm saying? If they didn't make money. What do you think, Joe? Say that again. I think you could I think if modules didn't make money, they're still worth your time for a little bit. For a big company, they could be loss leaders. You could <coughs> excuse me, make a module knowing that only the DM's gonna buy it and say, Well, I'm not selling to everybody, but we're not going to have the same volume, but you're keeping people playing by having well, those modules. You can do that with uh, uh, digital downloads because they're less expensive to support from the company. They don't have to have as many copies on hand. So, um, yeah, it all depends on how you structure your thing. Um, I think a company can, not every company can support having a loss leader because for some companies, it's, it could be too much of a loss. They can't sustain doing that over time. So they, many small companies, they need their products to do well. And so, and I think the DCC folks, 
most likely they have just developed a great fan base. And they play to that fan base. Whereas Wizards of the Coast, they're developing a fan base, but is their fan base actually buying their stuff? And I think that their goalpost changes are too frequent and their missteps are too frequent for them to uh, you to be able to say that they are fostering a good fan base. DCC, on the other hand, seems to be doing it right. And Paizo was doing it right for a while. And they still might be. I don't know how second edition, it's not doing like first edition, but it must have maybe some people. I don't know. I don't play second edition. Um, You think this is true? Darthia chimed in here. They're talking about supplying material. He says, I usually supply most of the material used for any game, if not all of it. The only players that I had that own their books are other DMs. That's not true. I mean, I started with OSE. First session, I think me and I'm not sure if anyone else had the book. Maybe Jeffrey did. Now, everybody's got a copy of the book. I mean, you guys are pretty good at like, hey, we're going to play this for a while. So If it looks like we're going to play a game, get the base book at least. Yeah, and, and that's, yeah. Not, that's not a big investment, like 40 bucks or whatever it was. So uh, I would have preferred it being a little less, but right. it, wasn't hor- it wasn't horrible. It's got a lot of... Why would a player need a book? I'll ask the question. Well, it depends. If the if the company provides a, um, uh, what is it called, where their rules are for free online. An OGL type guide. An OGL type thing, then the player may not need a book. Correct. So I, I don't begrudge them. I don't care about no, no. book or not. Just realize that if we're playing and I'm the only one with the book. It's going to be hard to pass it around, and you won't have a chance to do much. You know, we're not going to spend all day you reading all the time. So, um, yeah. So we can't. You know, you're not going to get to study the study the book at the table. I think most players SRD. Thank you, L. That's the word we're looking for. SRD. Yeah, yeah. SRD. So yeah, if you have an SRD, then um, a lot likely your the players don't need to buy a book, Mm -hmm. Um, and it provides them with kind of an easy easy on-ramp to the game. So once you get to playing a bit, you could potentially buy the book. Or or if you don't end up liking the game as a group, Mm -hmm. you don't. I do think... You don't buy it. No, no. But I do think if if you're going to play D&D, I would say... um, I would say that the player should buy the core book. I mean, if it's going to be something you guys are enjoying and playing a long time, for oh, sure. Or maybe it's just me. I would buy it. I don't want to be able to read the player stuff, uh, at least a player's handbook. Um, back there in the is day, that equivalent, sure. In first and second edition, if players showed up, and once we were heavy into it, especially in second, I expected everybody to have their own player's handbook. That doesn't mean I wouldn't deal with it, but I expect them to have the player's handbook, dice, and either paper or character sheets. I just did. It didn't mean I didn't have a backup, but it's kind of silly. If you're going to participate in something, participate, you know, and don't just mooch off everybody else all the time. Yeah, and then it, then it can depend on the game because some yeah. games have very expensive uh, books. Mm-hmm. And if it's 60 $70 or, dollars or more, and some people, I will. I'll balk at play, play, paying more than what, I mean, I paid 40 bucks for the, uh, old school essentials um, book, mm-hmm. and uh, I was like, "This is probably the most I want to pay for a game book, Fair especially enough. of its form factor." 
right? Because it's uh, digest sized. Yeah. Fairly thick for a, di- a digest. Yeah, it's pretty thick. You got the you got the advanced one, right? Advanced the- fantasy, yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, I've heard some quotes on some of these books, and then some of these games are Kickstarter games. Yes. So, and, and then you uh, those kicks, and they're usually expensive to get the main book in it. That's not a PDF. So if you get your print book out of a uh, a Kickstarter, it's probably a hundred bucks. And not everybody wants to, even if you can drop a hundred bucks on, technically drop a hundred bucks on the, on the book, you may not want to. Well, was that beast weird frontiers that I just got that uh, weird West game? You saw mm-hmm. a huge thing. That's, that's an eighty dollar book probably. When yeah. You put it on the shelf, maybe seventy. I don't expect if we ever play that, we're all just going to deal with that book. That's too much. Yeah. Fun. I would be if someone wanted to buy it, I'd be great, but don't buy it because one, I'm probably not playing it that long. Two, it's 70 bucks you shouldn't have to spend. I got it, you know, cheaper. I got several things for 60, so yeah. Um, anyway, um, anything else about modules? I'm feeling kind of like maybe I've said most of what I wanted to say. Do you have other things you wanted to add in? Maybe something I forgot? I don't think so. Let's see here. Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, do we think that we're going to, at some point, grab a particular one or set of Correct. and talk I, about them? I almost consider that this time. Why don't we plan on that next time? We'll have a segment. Let's you and I read one that we both have, which I don't know if we both have one. We had talked about Lost Caverns, but I don't know what you have. We could pick a module um, and read it at least hit the highlights and study it a little bit. Ones that hopefully you've played in and I've run that we could talk about. Um, you said you had White Plume Mountain. You don't have Castle Amber, do you? No. Let's talk about it off, off, offline. We'll, we'll pick sure, it up. Sure. So, um, yeah. Uh, anyway. All right. So if we're going to transition. Yeah. Subscribe, folks, those who are just listening and have not done so, please, if you're coming here after the fact and, and enjoying our our rambling about gaming, please subscribe, uh, hit the bell notification, hit the thumbs up, um, everything that activates the algorithm such as it is. Sometimes the algorithm is hard to get a um, beat on, on as far as what makes it tick. Mainly because they keep changing. But yes, please subscribe, like, share, do all the stuff. Yeah. Um. When you, oh, I think, Armin, are you asking this for us? It says, please ignore spoilers and talk about the good stuff, the hook, the boss fights, or other adventure ideas. Uh, ignore spoilers. What does he mean? So don't talk about spoilers? That's going to be hard to do for an old module. If, if yeah. He's asking that of us. If we uh, talk about the boss fights, that's a spoiler in and of itself. I'm, I'm uh, not sure what he but means. it depends on what he means, particularly by spoilers, like how this particular puzzle is solved. We probably right. won't talk about I, that. I don't do that, but I will Avoiding say... Avoiding well, key areas that are death traps and stuff. Yeah, we could probably we probably don't need well, to do that. Yeah, but I will talk, we'll talk about how we twisted things, too. That's always fun. Um, David Guile, if you're still listening, Joe? No. <laughs> Joe, if you would contact David if he's not listening. I can't talk tonight. I forgot. I'm getting up bright and early. Randy's about to go get pumped up early in the morning, so I don't want to stay on late after the show and chat, but I do want to chat with David. Could you share my email with him? Are you an email? Yes. 
what date? Yes. Then we'll we'll set up a time to chat sometime. We're, we actually use modern things like Discord. Huh. Discord. What is this Discord you speak of? Mm. Sounds like trouble. Like a, like people don't get along. They're disc, there's discordance. But okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, our man saying module reviews without spoilers are horrible. So don't be afraid. Oh, okay, okay. Ignore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. L's agreeing with me that sometimes a GM does have to share uh, the books with the players. Yeah, I mean that's cool. Uh, but I also think at some point. If you're playing a game like D&D and you and your group of five or six players have been playing for two or three years, uh, people should probably pony up and get their own player's handbook when the DM's player's handbook's all beat up. We might need another one. Um, it's really annoying sharing a book around a table of four or five yeah, people. Yeah, David, he's on now, so I'll tell him. Uh, Joe's going to share my email with you. I can't chat tonight because I'm getting up very early in the morning to go work out and pump myself up. And uh, so we'll have to chat sometime soon because I want to – I want to bend your ear on a couple of things. So, David, hopefully not tonight, but sometime soon we can get together. On Discord, I'll learn how to use it. <laughs> Actually, I know how to use it. I'm just being a deuce. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's do the last segment. I'm not sure how long this will talk here. We're going to transition into uh, Morning Canaan's Magnificent Mechanics again. But now we're going to get away from D&D, and we're going to talk about another game that I know I enjoy, and Joe does too. Um, excellent, Cal. Do that. The link is in the chat here somewhere. So, yeah, it should also be in the... Yeah. Yeah, Dar says he went through three copies of the PHB. You know, I bought multiple copies of it just because I want, and mine got old. Uh, I never got the leather one. Didn't um, go for that, but uh, I did get a sweet third edition leather version of Ravenloft. Still have that. That's a beautiful book. That's actually really hard to find. They, so. Those uh, leather books are generally... Um, nicely produced, but just, I never want to lay down that much money. And then I never want to use them when I get them, because they look so nice, you know? That, but, that $100 chunk of money it looks nice sitting on my shelf. <laughs> Stupid. It's so dumb, Joe. And I do it. I don't know why. Oh, Anyway, so Savage Worlds, different sort of game. And it'll bring back something that um, Oh, L was doing it right. He says, I've been paying too close attention. My pizza is cold. That's oh, cool. cold pizza. Sometimes cold pizza is okay, but. It's worth it when you're, hey, when you're listening to Biggest Geekas, it's hard. It's hard to take time to eat. We made your pizza cold. We should be ashamed, but we're kind of happy. Dude, Darth is doing it right. It, it's, prob- it's probably the chat. Though. It's probably not us. No, probably not. Darth says, Oh no, I have used the hell out of my leather bound copy. You, okay. sir, are a better better man than me, because that makes it worth it. Okay, are we gonna talk about Savage World? Let's do this. Do so this. in this uh Morning Canaan's Magnificent Mechanics, the idea is pick a game that Joe and I like, or at least a game, and we're gonna pick out. Ugh. <laughs> right off, lady. Cold, Cold pizza with French <laughs> onion dip. <laughs> dude, come on, dude. Do your thing. <laughs> yeah, so Savage Worlds before I get too grossed out. Um, <laughs> I think I would eat that French onion dip. I do like that, but I don't know if I could put too much on a piece of pizza. <sighs> too many flavors. So wh- what what do you like about Savage Worlds? In this sort of segment, we're going to revisit a game and say, here's the mechanics that we like. What did you like, Joe? I think my favorite thing about Savage Worlds was the raising and the aces. 
That is fun. With the you know the dice the dice um, the dice uh, conventions of the game. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the the different dice types for um, ability scores, ability scores and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, the novice, seasoned veteran, it's okay. It's just a it's the same but different, man. Yeah. But uh, the the raises and acing, I like. I like exploding dice. Yeah. So when you roll, so if you're making a check on your agility, let's say your agility is t- is titled is is not a number, but it's a dice, so a D8. And since you as a character are a wild card, that means you're a special hero type guy. You get an extra D6 and you roll it. If either one of those numbers max out, then you get to roll again. So if your six maxes out, you roll the D6 again. So you get a six on the first time and a five on the second. That's a grand total of eleven. When a target number is usually four. That tends to be pretty good news. So when you explode, um, so yeah, you like that. Anything else you really liked about the game? Um, now it's not the mechanics, but I, I like that it's very um, adaptable to different uh, game types. So it's yeah. a universal system, right? And I think it does very well as a universal system. So it's like GURPS, but good. <laughs> that's, that, you'll start a flame war with that one and with the right crowd. Let's say who likes GURPS. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's a good universal system. I think it is. I, I, uh, what do you think of the? I kind of, I kind of find the leveling up system, not the not the system of actually leveling up, but the fact that you have ranks, and then within the ranks you have to get different advances and to go to a new rank. So your ranks go from novice, a brand new character. Within the novice rank, you must gain three different advances, improve your character. Um, uh, thank you, Malachi. He says, Randy may be out of line, but he's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I know people like GURPS. I, I don't, um, I think, you know, the advancement is pretty cool. I do like the die types. Um, uh, for uh, the acing and stuff, I do find it. I've always found it weird that you say I've got a I've got a strength of a D eight, I've got a agility of a D four. Um, I think mechanically it it, it keeps it kind of does what five E does, but it has a risk. Five E, the players are very successful often. In Savage Worlds, you're very successful often, but you also have a chance of being very very screwed and base success can often be not it can be lackluster a lot of times you need a raise or or something like that for it to actually um for your attack or whatever you're doing to be effective if if you're Um, using one of your weaker stats for sure yeah yeah and the thing is though with the raises there's an interesting uh conundrum Mm -hmm. maybe it's uh maybe it's just me overthinking it but the the chance of you getting a raise with a D4 is higher than, than it is with a D6 or a D8 or a D10 Correct. or D12, right? right? However, the number range you can get on those dice are higher as well. So maybe it's it's a wash. But with the, the four being the target, not all the time, with the four being a target, you're going to be more successful rolling that D10. Because you're going sure. to get, get more more. Score four, five, six, seven, eight. You got to over time with average numbers and stuff yeah. like that. Sure, sure, sure. But I, I get it. Um, oh, Indigo wants to know what my shirt says. This is uh, 
says Delta College alumni, which is actually a lie that I'm perpetuating at my school. That's the college that I go to is Delta College. Um, but it's just a cool shirt. It's my favorite color, gray. So I snagged it. Uh, yeah, that's all it says. It's a college I teach at. So, um, but uh, yeah, the races and the acing are cool. I like the cards and the bennies. Whenever I play Savage Worlds, I kind of get my mind away from D&D. And we're more, it's more, I think it's, it's played better with a little more narrative stuff that you let players have a little more control. The card initiative, the card, the way they do chases with cards. I love the chase system with cards. Um, but I like the initiative system. It takes a little bit to learn. I know you're less inclined. You want to keep it dice oriented. But I like Savage Worlds that way. Um, if I had my um, uh, druthers, I think for simplicity, I like the dice. But for Savage Worlds, I don't want to play it with. There's rules for playing initiative with D20 for Savage World. No, thank you. I want the cards and I want the little chips for Benny's. So, yeah, I, I used to be really enamored of hero, the hero, a hero point mm-hmm. thing. Um, but the idea of a safety net, which is what they generally are, sure, makes the game a little soft. So, yeah. yep. So if if they were just narrative tools that may not be the case right but if your benny was a re-roll mm-hmm. then it becomes more a softer game that'd be that may be fine yeah um there's you know different strokes for different folks but um the old, old school dude in me is coming out more against having having um having those kind of safety net handrails uh, in the game yeah the only thing i would say is in savage worlds and this will bring us to another mechanic that i think i do like but you got to be in the mood um it's also your hit points meaning if you don't have sure. the, those little bennies you can't soak wounds and correct more than three wounds you're hosed you're hosed so, um there there is a place where um where you can get in that death spiral because when you get a wound, you get a minus one to your attack. That doesn't sound like much, but when you're just rolling a D4, D6, D8, that can be significant. Um, and so uh, when you play it, it can get really bad. Uh, I do like that instead of hit points, though I find the shaken, the shaken rule in the game, if someone hits you and rolls a number that matches your toughness, that's fine. If they go over your toughness, up to three points over, they shake you, which means you're kind of stunned, you're beat a little bit, and you lose your ability to react on your turn unless you make a spirit roll. Um, if you get four over your toughness, then you take actual damage. Um, I think sometimes that part of the game can get you caught in the death spiral. And even in a no-win situation, unless you really know the rules super well and can take advantage of gang up and helping other characters. Because you can get toughnesses for monsters that are dang near impossible to even hurt. Right. Uh, so if you get, if your bennies, if you spend your bennies on narrative and mm-hmm. making uh, things happen that are cool, where, yep. you know, and you get to a fight and then you have no bennies. Yeah. Then either either the D, the DM 
or the GM in this case, if you're working, if you the GM you're you've got the table um, uses the Benny concept correctly, then you will get extra from good role play, coming up with uh, interesting ideas and, and such. So you're not necessarily limited to the one or two or three you might have at the start of the session. Yeah. Um, I think, I think uh, that sometimes the mechanic where you get hit, exceeds your toughness, every four is a wound, then it's your turn to roll your vigor, to soak the wounds if you have a Benny to use. Sometimes that gets a little, takes a little tedious. Yeah. It's, yeah, much easier, it's, it's much easier to subtract hit points, but the game is meant to be a game where I think your characters are a little bit on the tough side. They're not 13th age or 5th edition tough, but they're like, they're they're even a novice character in Savage Worlds can do what he's yeah. got to do. He right. may not be great, but he's going to be competent. So you don't start out with right. pumps. Right, so the what the Bennies do uh, for the novice characters is uh, it does keep them alive. It gives them the whole, uh, I guess the whole uh, set of um, rules there provides characters that are not necessarily zeros. Like eight, that, like D&D characters are zeros at the beginning. You know, you're level one, but you're a zero to hero. And that's not Savage Worlds. Savage Worlds is competent. To, their, their characters are competent to start competent out. Competent to good. Um, yeah. Malachi said this, and I have this too. Um, says they did a good job converting over uh, to Pathfinder. Uh, I haven't read it yet, but I do have the big box set. I, I jumped in for the big Kickstarter part. I wish I hadn't because I'm getting a little tired of I'm off the Savage Worlds uh, wheel. If they do a new edition, I'm not into it because I've got what I need and I really just can't. I don't want to spend any more money on that game. It's good. I like it. But as you can see, I had a huge row of Savage World stuff that I've yet to play and I want to get through that crap. I don't want to. Just yeah. <laughs> so we got it. We we played Rippers, a setting, Victorian era monster hunters. We played Deadlands. Uh, we have dabbled in Rifts. I want to play Rifts, and I want to do the Pathfinder because I think it'll be a fun experience. Um, but I I think the game, I think the idea that it does kind of pulp era heroes is probably true, and I think we found it does superheroes fantastically. Um, right. I think it's I, I'm kind of ambivalent on which one is superior mutants and masterminds for this. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, their superheroes rules aren't limited to um, necessary, necessary evil, which right. is what kind of um, is, exemplifies it. Right. Uh, you can um, port that rule set into any type of superhero setting. Yeah. Uh, yes, Malachi, they are doing the companion rules. He's right. I've kickstarted the fantasy and the supers. My supers should be arriving soon. I can't wait to see the new ones. Um, I don't, I think overall the Savage Worlds Adventure Edition is pretty solid. I think their adjustment on the shaken effect has made me like it better. So players aren't stun locked sitting there shaken for round and round after round. Um, but if I had to summarize, I think the explosive dice, the cards and the binnings, I'm a big fan of. Um, I also like the fact that the PCs are wild cards. The mooks of the extras, they don't get all these extra wounds. You do a wound to an extra, they're down. Unless well, I'm it's their easy way of differentiating the PCs from everybody else 
except for key NPCs. Right, or big the, monsters. You can have monsters yeah. that, are, that are wild cards. A big dragon can have... Yeah, so a key. A key yeah. NPC or monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, for you, then you you would say it's basically the, explosive, the exploding dice and the ge- generic setting capability of the, of the game. Yeah, I think the in the wild card thing you just mentioned, yeah, that is pretty cool. That that's the differentiator that um, yeah. in D and D, what what makes PCs stand apart from the common folk isn't always clear. Especially the older editions, I yeah. would argue in OSE, they barely are better than commoners, and sometimes worse. I mean, a wizard. Yeah. Oh my. I mean, yeah. You have a magic spell you can throw out, but you know if they uh, a, a a clever a bunch of uh, commoners can you know scare you into blowing your magic missile, and then they jump you with pitchforks, and you're dead in a round. Heaven forbid. Easy. Oh, heaven forbid you get two spells at first level in your book, and you roll read. You get read magic and detect magic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then you're. Then you're garbage as far as an adventure goes. Uh, Malachi says he's waiting on the new sci-fi companion. I didn't know. Have they have they mentioned that yet? Is that coming out? I've got the supers and the fantasy on the way. Um, and I really hope there isn't another edition for a long, long time. But honestly, I don't care. I think, I mean, I, I don't hate the company. I like the company fine. They tend to be a little, they nod a little toward the lefties. But I think Shane Hensley does a good job, does his own thing. And I appreciate Savage Worlds in general as a company. But as far as mechanics, those are some of my favorites. I find rules-wise, it's very easy to teach, to sit players down and learn how to play it. Yeah, that's um, it's not a rules thing. I mean, um, that's not a mechanic to discuss, but it is a thing to like about it because um, it is an easy game to pick up, just to pick up and play. Easy. Yeah. 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 And if I want to do a quirky setting, for sure, I like it. Oh, Malachi, they're going to crowdfund it at some point. The sci-fi companion. Good. So I may get that one. I don't know. We'll see. I'm still feeling kind of done. So I got I got the old sci-fi companion. I'll probably bring you in the right bait. That's true. I keep saying I'm going to quit. Probably not. No, I I can't imagine I'll do an addition. But Joe, have to keep me honest on that one. All right. I'll just, I'll, I'll just carry a rolled up newspaper every do time. You like, you... Do you like edges and hindrances? I'm kind of ambivalent on that. Um, in a way, uh, it's just a, me- a means of getting more build points for your character. Sometimes the for for an edge hindrance system or drawback, whatever system it comes in, for them to be useful for for the game. The DM really need or the GM really needs to engage in, in those hindrances. So if the GM is not, um, if you are not as a GM engaging those hindrances, you've just given the players just some free points. Yeah, you have to make it. So what you do is you get so many points and you buy edges, which are like D&D feats. They tend to be a lot better in the game. They do make you big power-ups. And then when you get a hindrance, so you get an edge, you usually got to counter that. You get so many points. The way you get points to buy extra edges is by getting a few hindrances. And if you don't make players suffer, like, you know, if they say they're an alcoholic, you got to tempt them with alcohol. You have to get them drinking and make them suffer. Oh, Cal- He's in California. Oh goodness, are you are you okay? You must maybe you're okay with the 
I hope so, dude. God bless yeah, you. Hopefully he's not like bleeding out and going, we just had, you know, hopefully he's not oh, bleeding out. A serious earthquake. Where, where are you at, dude? Is it, I hope you're okay, man. I wonder um, if, oh. is he on his cell? Probably not. It yeah, not. He's in California. So, yeah. So I'm saying, is he on his cell phone doing this or oh, does he still have internet in his house? Uh, hopefully you and yours are okay. Yes, sir, buddy. We'll keep you in our prayers. Sorry about that. Uh, a lot of stuff in California is, uh, well, yeah. I'm going to say, I was going to say is built for it because I know they have building codes that are supposed to uh, take that in consideration. But um, considering um, how a lot of, um, <laughs> considering how much corruption there is over there, who knows? L says, Cal, give us some good. <laughs> is Hollywood destroyed? <laughs> oh, I don't want anybody to get hurt. But yeah. if, Maybe the Hollywood sign gets right. destroyed. That's great. And Disney, Disney's headquarters. Is that in? No, that's in uh, That's in Florida. Uh, well, it's not Florida. Is it Florida? Is that where Disney is? Their well, main? Disney, Disney, one of Disney's parks is in Florida. I don't know if that's where their main headquarters is. Right. It might be. It might be. I have no clue. All right. Um, oh. oh, Crafty's in California, too? I didn't, I yeah, didn't remember that. Yeah, like it. Yeah. All right. Northern California, where okay. the girls are warm. That's what as they the say. song goes. Yes. So. All right. I think that's all we had to say, man. We ready to boogie on out of here? I believe so. We are past the two-hour mark, so we're about to become pumpkins. Okay, David Gow, if you're still listening, I'm not going to get together tonight. I'm going to say it one more time, but Joe will help help me. Help me get in contact with you. So help me help you. Yes, but that's it. If you'd like to support our show, uh, please like, subscribe, share us wherever you watch the so- show or listen to it. We're on all the socials, videos, uh, and podcast places as well. YouTube. If you want to give us a little cash, use uh, PayPal, PayPal.me/slash/biggestgeekus or Streamlabs and Anchor. The links will be in the show notes. On the web, check us out at biggestgeekespodcast.com. If you want to email us at the geeks at biggestgeekespodcast.com. I am working in my, I'm trying to think through uh, another giveaway. I want to have one before the big 500 subscriber. Where are we at, Joe? Like 310 or something? 320. Uh, 320, okay. And so I want to have another one just for fun. Um, um, Martinson gave me an idea about a riddle of the Sphinx type contest. I may work with that. I might go something else. Uh, we really want to push people to email us because we love reading your responses. Um, so it'll probably involve sending an email in and us randomly selecting from the emails. Um, I think that's all I got to say, though, Joe. How about you, bud? Oh, uh, don't forget Big Geek Emporium. Another oh. way to help us is going there and supporting the um, plethora of um, great content we have great content creators that are yes. over there um uh we don't get a huge cut but every little bit helps so head on over there if you like something um buy it even if you get the free stuff that helps out too yeah so. yeah yeah thanks for all the folks who showed up l we had i don't know if we've seen you before but you're welcome glad you were here yes, you thanks for folks. coming by yeah it's good to see some new people and of course the old faces are always welcome you guys have a good night um this is randy And this is Joe. And remember, if you can't be big like us, then be geeks like us.